I really enjoy visiting with this good church. I've been here several times, and I've always been impressed every time I've been here uh, with the spirit of this church, and especially with the fact that you've got so many young people here, so many little fellas running around here, and that is healthy for a church. I go into churches sometimes, uh, particularly in South Arkansas, where there just aren't any kids, and that's very, very sad to go into a church where there aren't any children running around at all. Our congregation is blessed uh, to have lots and lots of little fellas. In fact, we just built a new education wing with a new bright, spacious nursery because we had, I think it was 21 babies under the age of two. So we, we, needed, we needed a nursery, but it makes for a lively church when you have all those little children down here. I, I want to show you something here. Let me see if I can work this here. Uh, I noticed in the, in the uh, Brochure for the rally, it listed some of my qualifications. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm a licensed supervisor. I got a PhD. Got all kind of credentials just coming out of my ears. But here's my real credentials. Okay, here's my. I want you to see my family because I'm very proud of my family. My wife, Gina, is a remarkable lady. God put her on this earth to support me and keep me humble. And so that's her job in life, and she does a good job of that. She is a remarkable lady. She's a CPA, certified financial planner, MBA, vice president of a bank. But more than that, she's a good Christian lady, good wife, and a good mother. We've been married going on 34 years now. And so I, I thank the Lord for that. Those are my two boys. Uh, the red-headed fellow there is Daniel. He graduated last year from the University of Texas with a Ph.D. in structural engineering. He is a structural engineer up in Washington, D.C. Michael will be here tomorrow, my, the fellow with the brown hair, the uh, very handsome, tall fellow, eligible, unmarried, handsome, tall, eligible. <laughs> He'll be here tomorrow, and you'll get to meet him, and I'm very proud of him. He is an accountant, went to Harding University, uh, works for a company in downtown Nashville. They're both Eagle Scouts. They're both active Christians. They're just good guys, and that, that's what I really want you to know. It's not all my licenses, but those are my good boys. I may tell you a little bit about them in the course of our conversation today. Also, you know my parents, George and Nell Williams. They're members of this church, and so I have a good upbringing, good Christian parents. But I want to let you know a little bit about my background so you'll know have a little bit of credibility when I talk about some of these things. And I really appreciate you having a family rally, okay? I really do. I have done uh, seminars like this from coast to coast, from California to New York and all those points in between. And everywhere I go, without fail, people tell me, you know, families need help. Families need strengthening. Everywhere I go, people say we appreciate good material on family life. And so that's what I've tried to do in my ministry uh, is to give some good material to build folks up. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, you may recall we talked yesterday or last night about the secrets of strong families. Some of the material I'm going to be sharing with you, all of it comes out of the Word of God, but some of it also reflects the studies that have been done over the past 30 years of thousands and thousands and thousands of strong families. And there's been a wealth of research on what makes families healthy, happy, healthy homes. And we found they have six characteristics. They spend time together as a family. They express appreciation to one another. They have good communication patterns, lots of talking and listening. They have a sense of commitment to one another. 
They have the ability to deal with crisis in a positive manner, and they have a high degree of religious orientation. And last night we talked about five things that faith offers families, and it really is true. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it really is true. Families that pray together tend to stay together, and that's one of the things they found. This morning, however, we're going to talk about, uh, or let me, let me say Leo Tolstoy, too. I just finished reading Anna Karenina, and he made a made a classic statement. He said, happy families are all alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And I think that's really true. Those six characteristics we just covered, you're going to find to be typical of strong families wherever you find them. But there's, oh, there's only a few ways to do it right, but there's a million ways, I suppose, to do it wrong. This morning, Creative, constructive family communication. Everybody talks about communication, and they know that communication is important to having strong families. Two of the secrets of strong families, they express appreciation to one another, and they have good communication patterns, lots of talking and listening. With that in mind, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at God's Guidelines for Christian Communication, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go down to about the middle of the chapter to verse 25. These are for relationships within the family of God, but they also hold true for relationships within our own families. If you want to have good communication, here's how God says you accomplish it. All right? Verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood And speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, the first guideline is pretty simple, pretty straightforward, and that is truthfulness. But I want you to notice why we need to be honest, why we need to be trustworthy. He says we're all members of one body. Now, think about the implications of that for just a moment. What he's saying is don't lie because you belong to each other. Because you're connected. In the church, I need to be trustworthy. I need to be honest because we're all members of one body. And if I lie to you, I hurt me. That's really what Paul is saying. If I lie to you in the body of Christ, I hurt me because we're brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And I will damage our relationship, hurt the church, and ruin my own credibility. Well, if that's true in the church, it is doubly true in families. So honesty is an essential characteristic of communication, truthfulness. Number, verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about temper now. I've got a whole series on that. You can invite me back for that. But I'm simply going to say this is one of the crucial areas of family functioning. We really have to watch our temper because he says when we allow our anger to get the best of us, it affects our spiritual life. The devil gets a foothold in our life, and boy, when I get angry and lose my temper, the devil has got charge of me. He can control me. I just finished working with a fellow in our church who had a really serious anger problem. He almost lost his job. He came forward one Sunday morning and told everybody, he says, I got problems with anger. It's affected my family. It's affected my job. And I need you to pray for me, which I appreciate his honesty. But he had such an anger problem. He was on the interstate and one of these 18-wheelers was merging and the 18-wheeler merged in front of him and he thought 
it merged too quickly. He thought it did it personally to him, so he sped up in his minivan with his wife and two little girls, got in front of that 18-wheeler and slammed on the brakes. And not only did he scare the fool out of his family, but he nearly got them all killed. So I could talk all morning about anger. That's a whole different seminar. You invite me back for that. But that, we're going to talk about that with our communication. Let's look at verse 28. He says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. The reason I shouldn't steal is not just because the Ten Commandments say thou shalt not steal. It's because it's contrary to Christian character. I'm not supposed to be a taker. I'm supposed to be a giver. And boy, we could really talk about family life. I need to be a giver. I need to be someone who contributes to family, who helps my partner, who's invested in my children. We need to do our share. Now look at verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In your mind, I want you to postmark that. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. Verses 30 and 31. Do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Did you notice that Paul, in the space of about eight verses, mentions anger twice? Do you think he's trying to tell us something here? And bitterness and rage? He says, get rid of those things. We have a disposal company in El Dorado, Arkansas, a trash pickup company, and they have the most descriptive name of any trash company I've ever seen. It's emblazoned in great big letters on every one of their dumpsters. Get rid of it. That's the name of the company. Just get rid of it. And if you want to get rid of it, you call them and they'll haul it away. Get rid of it. And Paul says, that's what we do with these toxic traits. These things are poison, bitterness, rage, malice, anger. He says, cut out the ugliness. And by the way, anytime I find myself cursing and swearing at my, one of my family members, it doesn't matter what the provocation is, I'm wrong. Cursing and swearing is a form of verbal violence. It is the emotional equivalent of a slap in the face, and it's wrong, it's poison, and it'll ruin a marriage, it'll ruin family relationships. So Paul just puts it bluntly. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says, just cut it out. Just get rid of it. Then he says in verse 32, we need to be good to each other. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's a pretty high bar there. I need to be forgiving. And I don't know to save my life how anybody's going to stay married if they can't forgive. Because it's not going to be very long into the marriage before we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to have a disagreement, which I'll talk about in the next session. We're going to have to have something to forgive. And notice what he says, Christ forgave you. I don't know about you, but it sure helps me to remember that God's been good to me and he's forgiven a whole lot of mistakes and shortcomings and foolishness in my life. And that helps me with my family members. I need to be just as patient with them as God has been with me. Now, with that in mind, I want you to circle back to verse 29. Here is our verse for this morning. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs 
that it may benefit those who listen. Now, if you look very carefully at those verses, there are some real keys to constructive family communication. And if you're filling in the blanks on your study guide, let me go ahead and give you the first one there. He says, I want you to say only what is helpful for building others up. I want you to fill in all people need building up. All people need building up. If you have the King James Version, it says useful for edifying, which is the same word we get edifice from, which means a building. An edifice is a building. Edifying is building up. We would like to think that we're rough enough, tough enough, mean enough, strong enough, we don't need anybody, and we can handle everything by ourselves. And it's not true. It's simply not true. We all need building up. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God recognized that it's not good for man to be alone. We need other people. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I've got a good friend named Frank, and Frank has a hobby. He's a beekeeper. And that's a pretty nice hobby to have because every year, Frank and his wife Sue give Gina and me a big jar of sweet clover honey. Let me tell you something. My wife makes homemade bread every week, and you get that homemade bread hot out of the oven, put some butter on it, and pour some sweet clover honey on it. Then nothing better in this world. It is good. Now, suppose I decide, you know, that's really a pretty nice hobby to have. you got all those little bees out there buzzing around making honey for you. Don't charge you a thing in the world for it. And you get that sweet clover honey. I decide I'm going to take that up as well. That's a pretty nice hobby to have. But i got to be honest, I don't know very much about beekeeping, so I'm going to start small. I'm going to get me one little bee. I'll put him in a little matchbox, and I'm going to feed him, and I'm going to pet him, and I'm going to give him a name, and I'm going to take care of him. What's going to happen to my little bee? Do what? But I'm going to be good to him. I'm going to feed him. I'm going to pet him. I'm going to give him a little name. You're telling me my little bee's going to die? Why? Why is my little bee going to die? Companionship. He needs, what, what does that little bee need? Yeah, he needs other bees. He needs a hive. The technical word is bees are social creatures. What about humans? What are we? Well, we are social creatures. We need affirmation. We need encouragement. We need support. We need to be built up. Our children especially need building up. So the first thing I want you to know is it's our job to all people need building up. And the second thing I want you to know is our responsibility to build them up to build them up. It is our responsibility to build them up. And by the way, the Bible gives us this responsibility again in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11 where it says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. One of the benefits of being in church, and I talked about this a little bit last night, one of the benefits of having a church family is people can build me up. People can build me up. There are going to be times in my life when I'm down, when I feel torn down, run down. I'm just down. And I come to church, and i got to be honest, there's sometimes I come to church, and I just really don't feel like coming to church. And I'm the preacher, but sometimes I just don't feel like coming to church. I just feel down. But I come to church, and I sing those songs, and I take a Lord's Supper, and people smile at me, and they shake my hand, and they act like they're glad to meet me, and they say, how are you doing? And it never fails. I feel better when I leave. It never fails.
I got a good church family. You got a good church family. All people need building up. It is our responsibility to build them up. And the third thing I want you to fill in on your blanks there, we build people up by what we say. We build people up by what we say. All right, by what we say. The Bible has so much. Don't have time to read them all, but the scriptures are there for you. But the power of life and death is in the tongue, the wise man said. We build people up by what we say. Have you ever been down, been confused, been struggling with a problem, and somebody comes along and they put their arm around you and they say just the right thing, and it can make all the difference in the world? You know what that feels like? Now, have you ever had somebody say something ugly to you, harsh to you, give you an insult? run you down, slander you. Do you remember how that feels? That's what I'm talking about. All people need building up. We build people up by what we say. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So our communication is so very important. All people need building up. It is our responsibility to build them up. And we we are in the construction business and we build people up by what we say. Now, with that in mind, what can we do to improve family communication? What can we do to improve family communication? Well, if you're filling in your blanks, number one is take the time to listen. You all know what James 1.19 says. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. Quick to listen. What does it mean to be quick to listen? And this, by the way, this is not a rhetorical question. I want you to think for just a minute. What is James saying when he says everyone should be quick to listen? What does that mean to you? Somebody help me here. I promise I'll listen to you. What does it mean to be quick to listen? Take the time to listen. To take the time to listen. I like that. Make it a priority. All right. Quick to listen. Very good. What else? Oh, I love that comment. I'm going to use that in my next seminar. Can I quote you? Take a back seat. Yeah. Don't put yourself first. Listening is one of the most unselfish things you can do if you'll genuinely listen to somebody. What else does it mean to be quick to listen in our families? (laughs) Have you ever noticed, if you ever watched any of those war movies uh, and they're they're shooting the, the, the artillery, the cannons, have you ever noticed that the soldiers, when the cannon is about to go off, they put their hands over their ears and they open their mouth? Do you know why they open their mouth? Okay, it's reducing the pressure on their ears when they hear. But when you open your mouth, you don't hear as well. <laughs> There's a lesson in there somewhere. Okay. There's a lesson in there somewhere. Anything else? What does it mean to be quick to listen? Be ready. Be ready to listen. Sir, be eager to listen. listen. I want to hear. You know, some of the things I regret the most about raising my two boys were the times when I jumped to conclusions about their actions, about their misbehavior, and maybe even was on the verge of spanking them, and I hadn't really listened. I hadn't really listened. Or they come in and they, they want to ask my permission to do something, and I just automatically say no. I always try to say yes if I possibly can, but I wasn't consistent with that. And sometimes I'd say no before I'd really taken the time to listen. And by the way, we're going to talk about arguments 
husbands and wives in our next session here, one of the biggest problems with husbands and wives is when we get aroused, emotionally aroused, when we get angry, we don't listen. We don't take the time to hear the other person's point of view. So the first thing I want you to know, if you want to improve family communication, God's given us the guideline in James 1 and verse 19, and that is be quick to listen. Right, oh, let me ask you a second question before I move on, because this is important too. We are all notoriously bad listeners. Listening is not a natural talent. It does not come easily. Why is it so hard for us to sometimes hear what other people are saying? What gets in the way of listening? Us? That takes a cake right there. That's it, us. <laughs> we're, we're the problem, yeah. Well, what, what about us? What gets in the way of listening? Our assumptions. Our assumptions, okay. We already assume we know what they believe, what they think, what they feel, so we just automatically tune them out. All right, what else? What gets in the way of our listening? We rehearse our response. Thank you. We, we think about what we're going to say, and we, we, while we're rehearsing our response, we're not listening to what they're actually saying. Why else are we so notoriously bad listeners? It's not easy to listen. We don't want to hear what they're saying. Sometimes we don't want to hear what they're saying, okay? Because sometimes they're talking about us, and they're talking about our shortcomings or failings. Yes, Cliff? Oh, yeah, yeah. Our perspective is the right one, and we, we want them to hurry up and finish so we can give them the, give them the right answer. Well, by the way, this is particularly true for parents. You know, we, we are authority figures. We're always laying down the law. We're always giving answers, and so sometimes we don't take the time to listen to our kids. Particularly, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, when they get to become teenagers. One of the, one of the biggest problems between parent-teenage communication, one of the biggest problems is that we don't listen to them. And they want to be heard. Teenagers really want to be heard. Okay? Can you think of any other reasons why we're bad listeners? Dusty? I'm sorry? We're too busy. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We are all busy people. I'm going to have a whole section just on that. Okay? Nobody said the one that usually comes up. And that is, we're watching television. (laughs) None of you ladies said that. Okay? All right. Did you ever notice when a man gets a remote control in his hand, he can't hear? (laughs) Okay, I don't know what it is about that, but you can't hear, okay? We need to turn the television off, put the newspaper down, and I am guilty as anyone. First guideline is take the time to listen. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and be slow to become angry. So here's here's a reality check here. Is there a time in your family schedule when you can have an undistracted, uninterrupted conversation? And by the way, sometimes in counseling, this is one of the things I have to really struggle with with couples, is they never have a time to just sit down and be quiet and talk. Sometimes they tell me their schedule, and I've learned over the years, just what's your family schedule? What do you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? And sometimes they just never have the time or take the time or make the time to sit down and have an undistracted, uninterrupted conversation. Are you a safe sounding board? Can you be trusted with feelings? Feelings are neither right nor wrong. They just are. And you need to be able to listen to feelings without automatically giving some kind of judgmental answer. Do you ask questions to make sure you truly understand? Can you repeat what the other person has said? Okay. Can you repeat what the other person, which by the way is, is a really good counseling technique. Okay. Tell me what your wife just said. Tell me what your husband just said. 
and you keep working at it till they get it right? Are you approachable? Do family members seem comfortable sharing their feelings with you? The first guideline is listen. Are you patient enough to hear the whole story? Are you quick to interrupt, judge, criticize, or correct? All of those get in the way of truly listening to our family members. Number two, evaluate the effectiveness of present communication patterns. And that is to say, as Dr. Phil would say, is that working for you? Okay? Think long and hard about what it is you're doing and just ask yourself, is this working? And let me make a couple of pointed suggestions here. Number one, sometimes we need to turn down the volume. We need to turn down the volume. What does a wise man say in Proverbs 15, verse 1? A gentle answer turns away wrath. They did a really interesting experiment at Wayne State University over in Indiana uh, where they were working with three- and four-year-olds. And what they found was when they were giving these little fellows instructions, the louder they got, the less likely they were to obey. But if they talked to them in a gentle voice, they were more likely to respond. Isn't that interesting? How many of us have found ourselves raising our voice and yelling and screaming because we're trying to get our kids to do something? I got news for you. It doesn't work. It really doesn't. There's a really good, by the way, there's a really good uh, study out now, uh, a video series that we can use in churches it, by a member of the church. It's called Scream Free Parenting. It's really good. I, I recommend you check it out. Scream Free Parenting. It's, it, he's done that all over the country here. Uh, and I, it's really good material. But he makes a really good point. When we, The louder we get, the less effective we are as communicators. And, of course, the Bible told us that years ago. Second suggestion is turn down the frequency. Turn down the frequency. How many times have we found ourselves repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating? And when we're talking to our kids and we have to tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them, what happens to us inside of us when we have to repeat ourselves over and over and over again? We're getting mad. And then we're headed for trouble. We get frustrated. Okay? Now, what is the alternative to telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them? Well, I always ask parents when I'm in a counseling session, well, what is plan B? You know, what is plan B? Where do you go to when repeating yourself doesn't work and you're getting frustrated and the pressure's building up? What is plan B? What is the behavioral alternative to telling them and telling them and telling them? Oh, well, I send them to their room. I give them a spanking. I put them in the corner. I, I said, well, go to plan B after the second time. You know, tell them once, tell them twice, and then go straight to plan B, whatever it is. Behavioral responses work a whole lot better than verbal repetition. If you find yourself telling them over and over and over again, you know what you're training your kids to do? What are you training them to do? Wait. <laughs> yeah, wait you out. Yeah, wait until you get really frustrated, okay? And I, sometimes when I work with parents, I just ask them, what do you do when you really mean it, you know? Sometimes they give the, the full name. George, Daniel, Williams, you come here right now, okay? You know, whatever it is. But they're, they're, the kids know. They pick up on this. There, there's some signal when you really mean it. Well, you've got to really mean it up front. Tell them, maybe twice, and then go straight to plan B. So turn down the frequency. And then the third suggestion I'm going to give you along those lines, 
Can I give you a word about teasing? A word about teasing? Don't. No, don't tease kids. Don't tease kids. Teasing, if you have a child who doesn't like to be called Jughead, we had a mother in our church and called her a little bit. He had a huge head, but I, I, I said, please don't call him Jughead. If you have a child who doesn't like to be teased about his girlfriend or her boyfriend, or if you have a child, if they tell you, I don't like that, stop. Do not say, you're just being too sensitive. That's cruel. And it's, it's not valid. Everybody's got a right to their feelings. And if you have a child who says, I don't like being teased, I got news for you. You better stop. You better stop. And the Bible even talks about that, about joking and so say, I was only teasing. You don't do that. Don't tease your kids. All right? Now, let's go to the next one here. Guideline number three, drop unreasonable expectations. If you want to communicate with your family members, drop unreasonable expectations. I will never forget when our boys were playing t-ball and I w they were out having a practice one day. And these little fellas, five and six years old, they're out there having just the time of their life, just out there swinging away. And, you know, they'd hit the ball to left field and all nine fellas would go running over to left field to catch it. You know, they didn't know what they were doing, but they were having a great time. And I was standing there at the practice waiting to pick up uh, my sons, and there was this man standing there next to me, and he was watching his son, and the little fellows came running in off the field, flushed and sweaty and excited. They were all happy. And the father looked at his son, who came running up to him all happy, and he said one word. He said, you sure made a lot of mistakes out there. And you could just see the air go out of that little fellow's balloon. I mean, his, just, his face just fell and he walked to the car in the parking lot. His shoulders were slumping, and he was so discouraged. He was having a great time. He thought he was doing good, and maybe his dad meant well. I'd like to think that he did, but that's you don't build people up by tearing them down. Drop unreasonable. The, the Bible actually says in uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22, it actually says to fathers, don't be harsh or you will embitter, embitter your children embitter your children. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, acted like a child, spoke like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, we always look at that on the, on the back end, say, see, when you grow up, you need to be mature. Well, that's true. But the front end's true also. When you're a kid, you can't act like an adult. You're a kid. And we need to let kids be kids. They're going to grow up fast enough. Let them be kids. Drop unreasonable expectations. The next guideline is correct others when necessary with lots of gentleness and love. The Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. And boy, that's a good guideline, speaking the truth in love. You know, I've gotten to the point in life where when somebody says to me, Dan, can I be brutally honest with you? And I say, no. <laughs> I'd rather you'd be nice. We need to speak the truth in love. And we can be... So polite and kind and nice to folks that are complete strangers to us and be so harsh and direct and cruel to people that are, the, are our loved ones and the closest people in, in our life. We need to be gentle with them. We need to correct them. And people need correcting. Husbands need correcting. Wives need correcting. But we need to do it with a lot of love. And, and one of the things I work with with folks, and you probably heard of this, but you just use the sandwich technique. And that is if you have some concern, some complaint, something that needs to be corrected, 
in a family member, you start with a positive, then you tell them what's wrong, and then you end with a positive. Okay? You start with a positive. Honey, I really appreciated the way you, 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 you worked out there and you tried real hard. I thought you did real good. Let me tell you one thing you could do better when you're standing up at the little t-ball thing if you'll hold your bat a little bit back. But you really are enthusiastic and you're going to be a great ball player. Now, doesn't that sound a whole lot better than you made a lot of mistakes out there? Okay? By the way, this works with husbands and wives too. Honey, I love you and I really like to feel close to you it's hard for me to feel close to you when you don't call me and let me know you're going to come home and I get worried about you and upset, but I do like it when you keep me informed. That sounds so much better than, you always forget to call me. Does that make sense? Start with something positive. By the way, this is just as biblical as it can be. If you look at the letters of the Apostle Paul to the, all the churches that he uh, wrote, and you check me on this, he follows a pattern with one exception. Paul was always writing these churches to correct something. They were doing some knucklehead thing, and he had to write them to correct them, and he was constantly correcting churches. But if you'll notice, he always started with something positive, always found something good to say about them. Even the church at Corinth, which was just as messed up as it could possibly be, he at least starts out by saying, well, you got this going right, you got this going right, and then he corrects them. And he always ends with something positive. In every letter Paul wrote to every church, with one exception, he always started with something positive, try to be loving, then he corrects them, and then he ends with something. By the way, does anybody know what letter he breaks the pattern with? There's one letter where he jumps right in. And it's probably the very first letter he wrote. Galatians. The book of Galatians. You remember the book of Galatians? Man, he just jumps right in with both feet. But that's the last time he did that. And the book, of, the book of Galatians is an exception to the rule. Every other book Paul ever wrote, he always uses the sandwich technique. He always says something positive, then he does the correction, and then he ends on a positive note. And I think that's a pretty good guideline for us as well. All right, let's continue here. Cultivate the attitude of gratitude. Cultivate the attitude of gratitude. Do you remember when Jesus healed lepers? Ten lepers. Remember that? How many came back to say thank you? You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, where are the other nine? And the Bible says Jesus was astonished at their ingratitude. Even Jesus, who was the Son of God and knew the hearts of men, even Jesus was astonished at ingratitude. At ingratitude. Now, why is this important? Well, what is our goal as Christians, what is our goal as parents? We're supposed to build other people up. We're supposed to be in the construction business, remember? All right. When I am looking for the good things that my mate is doing, when I am looking for the good things that my children are doing, and when I verbalize, thank you. That was a great meal. I really appreciate it. And I try to tell my wife, thank you every day. She's a great cook, and I always try to say thank you. My boys, when they do something positive... Thank you for taking out the trash. You did a really good job uh, cleaning up the yard. Thank you. I always try to say something positive. When I verbalize my gratitude, I am extending my affirmation. I am saying to that family member, you are worthwhile. You are valuable. You provide something significant to this family. Why is it we say please and thank you out in the world, but we forget our manners when we're at home? We need to look for things we can say thank you 
about. We need to extend our affirmation. And you know, particularly with kids, just as soon as they're able to do something positive, whether it's setting out the plates for the supper table or whether it's taking out the trash, give them the opportunity to do something valuable, to contribute to the family. And then when they do, then you notice it and you say thank you. And by the way, this is actually one of the very best counseling techniques when couples get to me, and I'll talk about this in our next conversation, but when couples come to me, they're usually so focused on the negative. They're so locked into the complaints and they're so, their radar is picking up every little thing that their partner's doing wrong that they totally, totally, totally overlook what's going on good in the relationship. I'll circle back to that in just a minute. But the attitude of gratitude, don't forget to say thank you. A simple affirmation does more to build up family members than you and I could ever imagine. It is just so powerful. The power, uh, attitude of gratitude. Now, gratitude creates a warm, positive, hospitable environment. Saying thank you communicates value and worth. Guideline number six, look for and verbalize the good in others. We need to move from a position of fault finding to strength seeking. Look for the good in others. People need to know that they're worthwhile, that they're valuable. We need to say, I appreciate it when you. That was a good job. You did that well. We need to say things like, thank you. And we need to remember something and mark this one down. Tearing down is not building up. We're so good at finding the fault in other people, but we need to look for the good in other people. An honest compliment builds esteem. You hear so much about self-esteem these days. Well, if you want to build somebody's esteem, you look for good in them, and then you recognize it, and you verbalize it. You did it. I knew you could. I appreciate it when. We need to learn the language of appreciation and affirmation. That was a good job. You did that well. Or just the simple, thank you. Now, what is the difference between affirmation and flattery? Let's think about this for a minute. What is the difference between affirmation and flattery? Well, affirmation is honest, both in the statement and in the motives. What, why do people flatter other folks? What is flattery? Which, by the way, is condemned in the Bible. But what's the difference between affirmation and flattery? Say what? Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Okay. Flattery may or may not be honest in what I'm saying, but it's always dishonest in why I say it. Okay. Here's the way I understand it. It makes sense to me. The difference between affirmation and flattery is with affirmation, I am building up. With flattery, I am buttering up. Does that make sense? All right. When I'm buttering up, I have an ulterior motive. I'm trying to get something. It becomes manipulation is really what it is. Affirmation is I just appreciate when my son does something good. I'm grateful when my wife does something worthwhile. I just want for their sake to notice what they do right. 
Didn't Paul say something a minute ago about do not let any unwholesome words come out of your lip, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit not you, that it may benefit those who listen. That's the charge Paul gives us, and that's what God wants us to do. If we're in the construction business, we need to build other people up. All right? Now, why is it difficult for some people to accept a compliment? And I've run into this many a time when you try to tell people, thank you, you did that really well. Some people have a really hard time accepting a compliment. I mean, they will wiggle out of that so quick. You say something nice about somebody to them. Oh, no, 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 no. Why is it hard for some people to accept a compliment? They don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy. Okay. It's, I'm sorry? Maybe they're not used to hearing it. Maybe nobody somewhere along the line when they're growing up ever told them they were worthwhile. Okay. All right. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. When somebody gives you a compliment, when they say something nice about you, what is the correct response? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And none of this false modesty, none of this, oh, I don't really deserve it. That's not necessary. Just say thank you. I appreciate that. And then move on. And teach our kids that they are valuable, that they are worthwhile, and we give them an honest affirmation, an honest affirmation. And finally, number seven, see and verbalize the good that can be in others, that can be in others. Now, this takes a little bit of ability. You've got to really work at this, but you've got to see the good that can be in others. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Everybody knows Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That has caused more confusion and grief and heartache with parents because it is misunderstood. I am convinced. Train up a child. If parents, and I have a whole lesson. You can invite me back. I've got a whole lesson for parents of prodigals. But so many times when kids go wrong, parents think, well, I did something wrong. It's my fault. And it causes them no end to grief. And well, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But they say, the Bible says if I had done the right job as a parent, train them up in the way they should go, then they wouldn't depart from it. Well, that may or may not be true, but that's not what that verse is saying. That verse is saying, train up a child in the way he should go. In the Hebrew, it's in his own way. Now, what it's really saying is you don't fit a square peg in a round hole. You don't try to make a kid something he or she's not. Train up a child in his way, in her way, their own unique abilities. I showed you a picture of my two boys a few minutes ago. One boy is about, I don't know, about 5'9". One boy is about 6'1". Big muscled up boy, little wiry fella. So I got two boys. One is big boy, one is little boy. When they were in high school, if I had picked their sports for them, ain't no doubt about it, Michael would have been a football player. And in fact, the, the coach, the football coach, tried his best to get him to go out for the team. I actually, with my own eyes, saw the coach follow Michael across the campus saying, try out for the football team. Come on, come on, you can try for them. And Michael just laughed at him, okay, and just walked on. My big boy, my big tall boy, was an all-conference tennis player. Who knew? I wouldn't have guessed that. My 5'9", smaller boy, 
was an all-state football player. I wouldn't have guessed that. (laughs) I never would have pegged him for that. And what I had to do as a parent with both of my boys is step back and say, what are you interested in? What do you want to try? And then I will support you in whatever you do. One of the things we do with kids to help them succeed is expose them to a lot of different things, encourage them to try a lot of different things, and then really support them in whatever catches fire, whatever they're good at. And for goodness sakes, if you were an all-star baseball player and you want your kid to be an all-star baseball player, don't try to relive your life through him or her. Uh Uh-uh. Let them find their own talent and ability. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've got to say that when we're talking about seeing the good in others. Let me give you an example from the Bible. See the good that can be in others. Do you remember when Jesus met Simon Peter? This is in John chapter 1. When Jesus met Simon Peter, except he didn't meet Simon Peter. He met Cephas. And Jesus looked at him and he says, You are Cephas, son of John, but you will be called or you are Simon, rather, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which being translated is a rock. Now, that's an amazing episode. It goes right over our head. We don't understand what Jesus just did. Jesus looked at Simon and said, I see something in you. You're going to be a rock one day. Now, I can just picture all of Simon's buddies behind him kind of snickering and laughing because Simon was not a rock. Simon was a hot-headed Galilean fisherman who knew how to curse and swear, stuck his foot in his mouth on regular occasions, was impulsive, and got in trouble all the time. And Jesus looked at him and said, Yeah, but I see something they don't see. I see underneath all of that impulsiveness and shifting, and I see a rock. And do you know... By God's grace and with Jesus' patience and instruction, Simon eventually became Peter. He became a rock. Now, if you read the Gospels, it took a while. It took a while. But Jesus saw it. And Jesus said it. And then Jesus helped him develop it, which I think is a tremendous lesson. Benjamin West, the great artist, British artist, tells how he first became aware of his own artistic skills. One day his mother went out, leaving him in charge of his little sister Sally. In his mother's absence, Benjamin found some bottles of colored ink, and to amuse his little sister, he began to paint Sally's portrait, and he made a mess. I mean, there were ink splotches everywhere. And when his mother returned, she had left him in charge of his little sister, and she came back, and he had gotten into the paint, and he had made a total mess. You know what she did? She looked at that piece of paper and she said, why? It's Sally. And she bent over and she kissed Benjamin. And years later, Benjamin West said, my mother's kiss made me a painter. Isn't that wonderful? She was able to look past the fuss and the muss and the mess and to see the talent, and to bring it out in him. See the good that can be in others. And if we do that, and if we'll follow those guidelines, those are God's guidelines, we're going to have some positive family communication. 